Today we're blessed to be celebrating for the first time in the history of the Catholic Church the Sunday dedicated to the Word of God. It's a Sunday that Pope Francis issued in a moto proprio back, I mean really not, just a few months ago to specifically dedicate the third Sunday in ordinary time to just preaching and explaining and expounding upon the Word of God. And so it's in kind of an honor of that, what I want to do is explain a little bit about my own background in associating and being and affiliating with the Word of God as a whole. So not just this gospel or not just not just the second reading or the, or the first reading, but as a whole, my own kind of experience with the Word of God. I went to public school and in in public college, and one of the things that I heard often, even in seminary, was this kind of idea that the Bible, the scriptures, Jesus, all of that was more or less discredited, kind of made up, just kind of extra, just extra superstitious, pious stuff that kind of the followers of Jesus just put into words and put into print and just is basically a fiction book. Now, these arguments first seem like kind of jokes, like, all right, like, are you really serious about this? And, I, and I've heard, heard people say this and not really have good, good arguments to back up their answer. Oh, you know, this was just written by, written by Jesus' followers. Okay, prove it. Usually, I don't hear a lot, of, a lot of voice back. But in college, I began, especially in seminary, I did actually, it's ironic I found this in seminary, but there, there was actually a great deal of pushback on the idea that, hmm, maybe the Bible wasn't actually, maybe the Gospels weren't actually written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe the apostles and maybe the, 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 the disciples of Jesus didn't really understand miracles that well. Or maybe, just maybe, it was all made up. And so I want to kind of, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you too have heard and experienced this, these arguments. And so what I want to do is just expound upon why I don't think they're, they're good arguments at all. So let's just dive right on in. The first one, the idea that Matthew didn't write Matthew, that Mark didn't write Mark, Luke didn't write Luke, and John didn't write John. This is unbelievably common in university settings. It's almost a, an undisputed fact that these gospels were not actually written by the authors that they're attributed to. There's a kind of this idea, this notion, that these gospels were written by yeah, maybe some collaboration with Mark, but it was really Mark learning from what's called a Q source. Now, you might be wondering, what's a Q source? Trust me, the people that are coming up, that, that nobody knows what the Q source is. But it's an, it's an idea, this kind of, honestly, what it probably is, it's basically a professor trying to make tenure. Just what he did, he, he was this idea that, that you know, you have a, this, this document that informs the apostle on what actually happened or, or an idea that happened and you come together and you write the Gospel of Mark. And then what Matthew did was Matthew took Mark, the Q source, and wrote the, the Gospel of Matthew. And John, John did the same thing and so on and so forth. It's an incredibly complicated, very, very hard to follow theory. And what I want to do is just explain that it's, I don't find, and a lot of biblical scholars these days don't find it to be a very good theory. For, for one main reason, the Q source has never been found. Nobody knows what this thing is. There's no, like, there's no clear 
piece of parchment or piece of papyrus that says, look, this is the cheat sheet of the gospel writers. This is what they actually took all their stuff from. It, that, that doesn't exist. What we do find, though, are manuscripts of gospels that are attributed to Matthew, manuscripts of gospels that are attributed to Mark, manuscripts of gospels that are attributed to Luke and John. That's clear. Now, the reason why, this is the, this is the next kind of reason, the, the next kind of reason why there's, there's doubt, okay? People say that these manuscripts are, are, are way, way later than the, than the scene. Basically, like they, they were written like hundreds of years after Jesus walked the face of the earth. Well, that's sort of true. On the one hand, our oldest manuscript is the Codex Sinaiticus, and it's written, we dated about the second century. So you could maybe argue that it was about 70 years, 80 years, 90 years after the, the coming of Christ. But the reality is, most of the time, whenever we hear about religious persecution, we're not actually talking about Christians dying martyrs. This is something I, I, this is an interesting historical fact. Really what most religious persecution was, was the Roman emperor, the Roman governor, knew that a group of Christians were gathering. And so what he did was he sent his, his group of soldiers in and said, basically, surrender your books or we'll kill you. And so that was what a lot of Christians did. They just said, okay, here you go. Here are our books. Books being the Bible, the lectionary, the order of the mass, like their religious book. Because it, it, it was the most prized possession they had. I mean, this was the word of God. And so how did they kind of stomp out uh, Christianity in an attempt to? By destroying all original manuscripts. That's why we don't have the originals. But the reality is, that's not a big deal. I mean, if we think about most ancient writers, actually, take it back, every ancient writer, from Homer, who wrote the Odyssey, to Cicero, who wrote On Oration, to Aristotle and Plato, who wrote gobs and gobs and tons and tons of writings. The fact of the matter is, we don't have any of these manuscripts. They don't exist. The originals simply don't exist. The earliest, the earliest uh, manuscript of uh, Aristotle was written 1,300 years after Aristotle was born. 1,300 years. And nobody is there, there saying, Aristotle didn't write this. Q-Source wrote this. Like, that's ridiculous. That, that's simply, it's simply not a, a, val, a, a valid point. It's simply, and it's something that nobody really, it's something that nobody really, really discusses or really holds to. So I guess that's, that's, I'm going to leave it at that. That authorship, to me, has yet to be proven. It is yet to be proven that Matthew did not write Matthew, or Mark did not write Mark, or Luke did not write Luke. Yeah, maybe they had some input from other people, but it wasn't like this is just a, 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 a gospel by committee. In fact, back in the 300s, there was a debate to write a gospel by committee, to take what, what was good in Matthew, take what was good in Mark, John, and all this other stuff, and kind of combine them to one clear, coherent story. But the bishops voted it down because they believed that these were all gospels written by the original authors, and you don't want to expunge that from the Word of God. So authorship. The next thing that I hear too, especially this is the second thing that comes about kind of protesting the word of God. Okay, well maybe, maybe they did actually write this, but let's be honest. 
people back then, they didn't really understand science, they didn't really get, get life, you know, they, they weren't as sophisticated or well-developed or well-evolved as we are. And so, you know, they probably didn't really understand the miracles. And, you know, I, I, I gotta say, this is, like I said, this is my own confession, I hate that argument. Like, with a burning passion. Yes, it is true. The people back in the day could not Google answers to questions they might have. Yes, back in the day they did not have books. They did not have, they were just had scrolls to write on it in stone, but they didn't have the technology that we have, which means they were exceptionally brilliant. Give you an example. St. Augustine, he wrote the book De Doctrina. They had books by then. De Doctrina. It's basically on Christian doctrine. And he said, if you want to teach the catechism, if you want to, that, that is the, the basic tenets of the Catholic faith, you know what the first thing you need to do is? Memorize scripture. All of it. Cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. That is your requirement. Which means that I am not authorized to preach this homily right now. But it, that's, like, that's what it was. That's how people passed on knowledge. They had exceptional memories. And that's, in fact, in fact, why you find there are differences in manuscripts that you're going to find in the Gospels. It's because monks had a different memory of it than one monk had a different memory of the other monk. But there's no glaring discrepancies. It's not like Jesus was born in Nazareth and not Bethlehem or, vice, or, or it was vice versa. But, or like, you know, or in Jerusalem instead. There wasn't anything of that sort. It was mere sentence structure and little tiny details. It wasn't anything to that extreme. My point being is the memories of these men and women were phenomenal. We can only dream to reclaim those memories that they had, but the reality is we probably won't because we don't need to. We have everything we need right in, our, in the little black box that we, that, you know, that we used to call people with. But, so that's, that's the first point, that's my first protest to that, this idea, this kind of condescension this, of, of the, the ancient man. But the second thing is, yes, we might be well aware of all the scientific nuances, of all the different chemical reactions and everything that goes on or a lot of these things. We might have a better understanding of the theory of science and the theory of nature. But we have no iota or no shred of sense compared to these men and women as far as the application of nature. They knew what it took to make a loaf of bread. They knew what it took to make wine. They did not have Walmart to go buy this stuff. There was no Evangeline made of poor people, I know. There was, there, was no, there, was, there was a lack of industrial, you know, because there was a lack of industrial revolution, they were incredibly attentive to what required different things. Now, and, and, you know, and, and the reason why I'm going off on this is because there was, there's one theory out there that Jesus actually did not walk on water. That actually Jesus was walking on a sandbar. And the apostles did not realize this. That theory could only have come up with a guy who lives in an ivory tower. There's no other person that could have come. I mean, these guys are fishermen. Do you not think they run into sandbars all the time? And yet, they looked at these, not just one of them. It's not like one guy just had a, had a like, you know, lapse of common sense. We had 12 fishermen, 12 men together, which is, you know, I don't know if you've been around 12 men, but it's impossible to get a degree on anything. All right. So 12 men together agree this man 
is walking on water. And these are not 12 Pharisees or Sadducees or Roman senators who are weighed on hand and foot. These are 12 gritty men who've worked very, very hard to make a living in the sea. They know what a sandbar is. And Jesus did not walk on one whenever he walked on water. The other one, the feeding of the 5,000. Feeding of the 5,000 is this notion that the, the, the people try to explain this miracle away. They say, okay, well look, the feeding of the 5,000 was just a story of how everybody's now sharing. But the reality is, is if everybody was sharing, then why are the apostles distressed saying all we have are five loaves and two fish? This is, this is it. There's nothing else we can have, nothing else to feed people. And this is 5,000 people out here. Like, there's no way we can get this done. Like, my thing is, they would not have possibly, these are common sense men. They get how life works. They understand things. They, are, they would know that if all the people needed to do was share, they would just get in their face and tell them to share. It wouldn't, this is not a hard thing to do. But instead there was a revelation and instead there was an actual miracle. And not only that, the feeding of 5,000 the, is the only miracle in all four Gospels. That's how big of a miracle it was. My point being is that, yes, they're not as technologically advanced, but I would argue they were more humanly advanced than we are because of how much, they had to, how much they had to adapt and how much they had to learn. And so I find it incredibly insulting and incredibly arrogant to say that they did not know what a miracle was whenever they saw it. I, that, just, that is something that is just, that is just from, a historias, from a historical perspective, is total baloney. So I should not, so, sorry, I need to, I'm getting a little passion here. So let me, get, let me get back to business. Okay, so the last one, lying. This is the idea that this is all a bunch of stories. Yeah, the apostles might have seen something pretty cool, so what are they going to do? Blow it out of proportion. Well, that could very well be a possibility. Let's see what happened to the apostles after they blew this story out of proportion. Peter, crucified, upside down. Paul, beheaded in Rome. James, we don't know exactly how he died, but we know that he died by the sword. Stephen, first deacon, very excited. He really believed this story. He was big into it. What happened? Stoned to death. The only guy, this happened to all the apostles, either they died in total obscurity, or we know they were, they were martyred, either lanced or beheaded with an axe or thrown off buildings, a horrible, gruesome deaths. The only one that did not die a gruesome death was John. He almost died in prison instead. But he, he, did, he did get out of prison and he, lived, he died peacefully in Ephesus. Point being, is that if these are just stories, it does not make sense that they would give their life up for them. I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. I've got story after story for you. But I am not about to give my life over one of my hunting stories. I'm not, it's not that important to me. I'm telling you, this, these stories, if this were just a story, if the, the idea that a man rose from the dead just happened to be a figment of not one man's imagination, but 12 men, their imaginations, which in and of itself is very improbable, it, it, they would never, never have given up everything they had to follow him. They would have never dropped their nets again. Remember, they took their nets up after Jesus died, dropped their nets again, and gone and done what they did, and died martyrs. They would have just, it just would, does not add up that this is a big, fat lie. So where does that leave us? All I'm saying is, I'm not, all I'm saying is that the, the Bible, the, the scriptures are not that easily disproven. 
It's not that easy to show this is all just one big fiction book. So the question is, what do you do with it? Knowing that this is not an easily disproven book, that this probably actually is true. My suggestion is surrender. If we continue to read the, the, the scriptures with, with tons and tons of doubt, did this really happen? How could this have possibly happened? How could this have possibly existed? Was this just made up? We'll never, ever catch the gospel message for what it really is. We'll never actually see the Bible as the word of God. We'll never actually be able to soak in the riches and the wonders and the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. But instead, all we're going to do is put ourselves above him and question if he's really actually legit. And that's my experience. The minute I quit questioning was the minute I started receiving. The minute I actually started being formed by these gospels. The minute I actually started feeling and seeing how amazing it really is that a man walked to the face of the earth 2,000 years ago and died on a cross so that I can have eternal life. This is something that's never happened before in history, and it won't happen again until Jesus comes again. My point being is, in this Word of God Sunday, I challenge you to take the Bible seriously, to receive what it, had, what it gives you, and to pray with it. An easy, easy way to do this is at least once a week, if not every day, go through the lectionary of the Mass. Either go through today's readings or go through the, 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 the Sunday's readings. And pray with them. And ask the Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What's going on here? What are the lessons that I can glean from you? But the only way we're ever going to be able to pray with the scriptures, the only way we'll ever be able to, receive, to, to really receive them, is if we first accept that these really are, these scriptures, these writings really are the word of God.